John. And let's begin, uh, let's see, chapter 14. Uh, go ahead and find John 14, and I'll, there's one verse in particular we're going to settle in on this morning, but we may look at a few others before we actually get to that one verse. Praise God. Amen. So John chapter 14, we'll begin at verse 25. John chapter 14 and verse number 25. Amen. Praise God. Let me just say, uh, by the way, children can be dismissed to Children's Church. I sometimes fail to make that announcement, so, um, but Pam is uh, having Children's Church this morning with the kids. And um, amen. Emily, just, we love you, sister. I know it's been a rough uh, week and a half for you and your family, but Amen. We know where Miss Glenda is, and we know we'll see her again. So just know that this family of faith loves you, sister, and we continue to think about you. Praise God. All right, John chapter 14. Um, to to kind of orient you as to what's going on here, this is right towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he knows what is about to happen to him, and it's part of his destiny. And we also see his love for his disciples in that he's not only trying to teach them the things that they need to know to equip them to continue on after he does what he's going to do for, for them and for us, but we also see that Jesus is, is wanting to prepare them for the events that are very near at hand. In other words, um, things are fixing to get really, really, really bad. And he knows that their faith is going to be shaken, um, he even knows that, that Peter's going to deny him. And Jesus has been praying for Peter and the disciples that they'll be strong in faith. Remember, he told Peter, he says, I've already prayed for you that your faith will not fail you. Um, and then we, we also see that he's wanting them to have a clear understanding of his death, burial, and resurrection. And of course, we know that in spite of Jesus telling them this early and often, um, they still panicked, um, they still ran and hid, and, um, and thank God for John, um, the, John the Beloved, um, we see that he uh, followed Jesus all the way in, and so there's a lot of details about Jesus' trial and the events that led up to his scourging and then to his crucifixion that we have because um, John the Beloved was, was there to witness that. If you remember, John the Beloved was at the cross there where Jesus was dying. And from that cross, Jesus um, gave authority and responsibility to John the Beloved to care for his mother Mary. Um, now that's interesting as well because Jesus had half-brothers. In other words, Mary and Joseph um, had uh, other children, um, sons and daughters. Uh, Jesus, of course, fathered by the Holy Spirit, so they would have been Jesus' half-brothers and half-sisters. But it wasn't one of the half-brothers or half-sisters. I, I, I don't believe any of them were anywhere to be found uh, that day at the foot of the cross. But it was John the Beloved who was there, and, and it was um, Jesus gave John responsibility. Now, history tells us that John cared uh, for Mary until the time of her passing. Um, and... Uh, uh, Rick Renner, Dr. Renner, was teaching on this at one of the ministers' conferences and was talking about how they, uh, both of them, well up in years. Um, Mary would have just been a teenager when she became pregnant, a uh, young teenager when she became pregnant with Jesus. And so Mary wasn't that much older than John. 
and, um, and how both of them were a part of the church at Ephesus um, in, in their latter years. And so um, we see then again that Jesus is trying to prepare them uh, because he's about to take everything that he's done and he's going to hand it over to them and eventually to you and me to go into all the world and preach this gospel. So let's begin here in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit this morning? Aren't you thankful for the promise that Jesus would give us the Holy Spirit, that that promise has been fulfilled? Or let me say it another way. Aren't you thankful this morning that God the Father answered that prayer? Jesus said he would pray the Father would send us the, the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus prayed that prayer to the Father, and God the Father answered that prayer and sent the Holy Spirit to you and me. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So look at me again for just a moment, all right? Jesus would not instruct us to do something that we were incapable of doing. So when he told us to not allow our heart to be troubled, this tells me that we actually have a say-so in whether or not our hearts are troubled. Sometimes we think that we're just, you know, um, driven about with every wind, as the Bible says, or the waves that come through life and just tossing us to and fro. But we can be anchored to the truth. And this word let literally means allow. Jesus, Jesus says do not let, do not allow your heart to be troubled, nor let it be afraid. Again, I'm not trying to offend anyone this morning, but according to Jesus, our heart being troubled and our heart being afraid is a choice. We are the gatekeeper for our own heart. That's why the, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, to guard your heart with all diligence, to protect it, to keep it. In other words, what we let in or what we allow out of our heart, right, is, is our choice. We have control over that. Now, you know, even when we start talking about things like forgiveness, we're going to get to some of that this morning. When we talk about things like bitterness, or how about this one, anger, anger. See, again, we, we think that anger is just something that flies all over us and and we just can't control our temper and all this other stuff. But again, that's a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy. And that's not bad news. That, my friend, that's good news. Amen. That's good news. Don't be offended at this. Rejoice in this. Praise God. I heard Creflo Dollar. I'm probably, I'm probably not going to quote him exact. But, but Creflo Dollar has been teaching on, on the subject of emotions of late. And if you haven't had a chance to tune into any of that, it's some really, really needed and, and, and excellent teaching on the subject. But he said this, he said, peace is my most precious emotional asset and I will not squander mine on other people's drama. That's pretty good, isn't it? Peace is my most precious emotional asset and I will not squander mine on other people's drama. Notice Jesus is saying, I'm giving you peace, but he can give you all, he can, he, not just any peace, whose peace has he given us? He says, I give you peace, my peace I give to you. The peace of God, the peace of God, the Bible says, that passes all understanding that he's going to give to you. Amen. But listen, it's kind of like, come to me and I'll give you rest. That's what he said in Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me and you'll find rest. 
So there's a lot of folks that have been given rest. There's a lot of folks who have been given peace, but they haven't laid hold of that peace. They haven't laid hold of that rest. And so if Jesus is giving you peace, you know, peace is flowing in from Him, right? But you're also allowing trouble to flow in, and you're letting your heart, things that trouble your heart, things that scare you and frighten you, you're, you're more focused on those things then rather than living in the peace that He's giving to us, we're instead you know, in worry and fear and stress and anxiety. Amen or oh me or I'll think about it. Verse 28, You have heard me say to you, I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass you may believe. Amen. Jesus knew that these men were going to respond the way they were going to respond. So in addition to his efforts to prepare them for it, he knew that there would come a day when they would look back on those events and see them in their entirety and, and again, if you're a student of the Gospels, you know that there's different situations to where they, it, the Holy Spirit brought back to their remembrance something Jesus said, either in the form of a parable or in some illustration or in some sermon from the Old Testament that was re referring to Him, that there would be times that, that after the fact, they would look back and they would go, oh, that's what He meant. Oh, I get it now. That's what He was saying. Are you, are you understanding? And, and so Jesus knew that while this word would not necessarily build the faith in them necessary to, to not, um, you know, tuck, tail, and run in the heat of the moment, that it would be a word of value to them in the future, that when they look back after the dust had settled, it would build their faith then. Why am I telling you this this morning? It's because Father sees the end from the beginning. He's telling you things this morning that may not be needed in your life for some time down the road. He's, he's, he's not just looking at where you are right now, but He sees where we are right now, and He also sees where He wants us to be in the future and what it's going to take to get us there. Amen. Remember, everything He's doing in you right now is both for the moment, but also in preparation for what's next. Because He's growing us up into Jesus, line upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, grace for grace, from faith to faith, from glory to glory. Amen. And so Jesus is just planting these seeds, saying these things, so that when the day came, they would look back on it, and that they would believe at that point. Amen. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. Arise, let us go from here. All right, in the time that I have remaining this morning, I want to focus in on this 30th verse of John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 30, it says this, Jesus speaking, I will no longer talk much with you. He was talking to the disciples, right? Remember, he was preparing them for what was ahead of him. He says, I'll no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. Who is the ruler of this world? Does anybody know? He's speaking of Satan, is he not? 
Are y'all good this morning? Y'all already gone to the picnic or are we here? Everybody good? Amen. I got some really, 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 really important stuff to tell you about in the next few minutes, all right? Stuff that we need to know, stuff that we need to connect with, stuff that we need to understand from the Word of God. Amen. And so I want to I get some things planted and started this morning. Um, unless the Holy Spirit leads me a different direction, we'll be building on some of this next week. Amen. But I want to I get some things planted this morning, some important stuff, okay? So, amen. Holy Spirit, help us bring our hearts to attention. Receive what you have prepared for us this morning. Father, help us to receive your word and your truth in our inward parts. Lord, that it might renew our minds, make a difference in our lives. I ask that my spirit, soul, and body become a portal through which your wisdom can pass now from eternity into time and space. And Lord, may it be received with meekness and humility. Lord, the pure word of God, the pure wisdom of God, undefiled, Lord, I thank you that we receive it now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you. In other words, he was about to go quiet on them. Wasn't going to be a whole lot of time left for teaching and preaching and, and encouraging. He, he, he was basically saying, I'm, I'm going to finish up for now what I've been talking to you about. We know that after he raises from the dead, after he returns to his Father's right hand, pours out, pours out his blood in heaven, he's going to return back to the earth in a glorified body, and he's going to spend 40 more days with them. So it's not like this is the last thing he's ever going to say to them face to face. But there's about to be an, an interrupted time. In other words, the, basically for three years Jesus had been teaching these men. For three years he had been speaking into their lives, I believe, on a daily basis. For three years they had been following him, learning from him, participating together with him. They had seen countless numbers of miracles. They had seen countless numbers of, of, of demonic uh, uh, you know, possessions uh, reversed, demons cast out. Um, they had witnessed the dead raised. They had witnessed thousands and thousands of people uh, being fed with a little boy's uh, lunch and, and, and small amounts of food. All these things that they had experienced, right? And so, you know, they're at this, you know, this really high point in Jesus' popularity and, and all these other things, but Jesus knows that this thing is not going to end the way they have it in their minds that it's going to end. He's not going to take an earthly throne in Jerusalem and, and rule uh, Israel and then the world from a physical throne um, here upon the earth. And that was what many people assumed the Messiah would do and be like David, only bigger, greater, more powerful, wealthier. And so Jesus knows the spiritual aspects of all this. They don't understand that fully yet. And, and so he's trying to prepare them. And so he just says, look, I no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me I want to talk to you for just a moment about that phrase the ruler of this world the ruler of this world there's this idea that people have um, and you hear it said all the time that God is in control and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to, to irritate you or make you angry this morning, um, but not according to Jesus. Not according to Jesus. Jesus identified the devil as the ruler of this world. This is confirmed in other places throughout Scripture. For instance, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 identifies Satan as the lowercase g-o-d God of this world. Now, you without going into a 30-minute explanation of all this, we see that 
Originally, authority for this planet was given to Adam, but Adam relinquished that when the devil deceived him. We also see glimpses of this when Jesus was being tempted by the enemy, by Satan, and the devil took him up on a high place and he showed him all the kingdoms of this world and the authority over those kingdoms. And he told Jesus if he would just bow down and worship him that he would give it to Jesus because that was his to give and, and he would give it to Jesus if, if Jesus worshipped him. Well, there are people who say, no, nah, that's not accurate, Pastor Mark, because the, the devil, we, we can't trust what he says. But think about it. If the devil was lying, Jesus would have known that. And if the devil did not have that, then it would have been no temptation. And Jesus is basically participating in, in some kind of fraud, some kind of sham. Or you understand what I'm saying? In other words, for this to be a genuine temptation, for Jesus to, to, to literally you know, be tempted to take the shortcut, because you make no mistake about it, my friend, Jesus came to take that away from him. It was given to the first Adam. The first Adam turned it over to God's enemy. And the last Adam, Jesus, came as a man to take it back from God's enemy. It was a man who lost it. It had to be a man who took it back if it's going to come back to us, you and me, as men and women. Now, Jesus could have taken it back as the eternal Son of God, but that would have left you and me out of the equation. Jesus became a man, took it back from the devil as a man, legally took it back from the devil as a man, so that we now have authority over the devil. Amen. Amen. Yes, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that. Amen. But notice what he's saying. Jesus, look, we can end this right now, buddy. You, you, all that, man, have you, have you, you know, paid close attention to those men, because see, they would crucify men all the time. It was done as a warning. It was done as a, as a, and it was, it was a public crucifixion so that other people would see it and say, you know what, I don't know what that guy did, but I ain't doing that, right? And it was Jesus as a little boy would have been witnessing men hanging dead on crosses. Jesus as a little boy would have been, he would have already seen what somebody's back looked like after a Roman uh, uh, soldier got through with him. Uh, with a whip and a whipping post, right? And the devil's like, look, Jesus, man, they, oh, that's unnecessary, right? Let me tell you, I know what you're here for, and you know I got it, and if you just bow down to me right now, I'll give it to you. See, if, if that, what is he doing? He's, he's offering Jesus a shortcut. He's offering him an easy way out, or as I like to say, a path of least resistance, which always leads to what? An inferior life. And of course, Jesus did not take that offer. But again, if it was not a legitimate offer, it would have not been a legitimate temptation. So I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. Now, we started turn of the year talking about the importance of, of giving the Lord, giving our Savior, giving Jesus, giving God the Father, giving the Holy Spirit the place in our lives that they deserve. And the, and the Lord spoke to our hearts. He said that His children are wanting Him to do things in their lives and families that we simply have not given Him the place to do. And that He can only keep for us what we commit to Him. 
and that we need to understand what it means to give Him the place in our lives that He not only deserves, but the place that we need Him to have so that He can do in and through and for us that which He desires to do in and through and, and for us even more than we need it or, or want it. Now, there's another side, though, of this teaching. And that's what Jesus is talking about here when He says, the ruler of this world is coming and He has nothing in me. I know I'm talking a lot about Jesus' temptation this morning. We never really, you know, we didn't go back and look at all His verses. But again, look it up later. You'll see that that after those three different areas of temptation, and they all coincide with what the Bible talks about is common to every man, um, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Those were the three that the enemy used against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're the three that he used against Jesus. They're the three that he used against every human being that lived between Adam and Eve and Jesus, and every human being that's lived after Jesus until you and me right now. Those, those are the avenues that the enemy tries to, to maneuver, manipulate, and exploit against us. So after he tried in all three of these areas of human weakness, if you will, and yet Jesus did not sin, the Bible says that the enemy, Satan, left him for a what? A season. Left him for a season. But Jesus knew, and the devil knew, that they would meet again down the road. And so here Jesus says, the ruler of this world is coming. But notice what Jesus was able to say. And, and I, you know, there are things that Jesus said, um, and this being a classic example of this, he wasn't just saying it to the people listening. He wasn't just saying it you know, for our benefit, thank God it is for our benefit, thank God it was for the benefit of those who were listening. He was also saying it for His benefit, and He was also saying it just to let the devil know. He was making a faith confession here. He was making a declaration here. He was declaring audibly, verbally, out of His mouth, Devil, I know you're coming, and I know also that you don't have anything in me. You don't have anything in me. Alright? Now, this word in, it's a preposition in English, and it's also a preposition in Greek, in the original language. And I'm reading to you from the Complete Word Study Dictionary, New Testament, AMG Publishers, uh, and there was, I, I'm not making this up, in other words. It literally means this, in, meaning of place, of place, so there's that word again, place, which is the primary and most frequent use. So when you see this word in, it's, its primary and most frequent use is the meaning of place. Spoken of everything which is conceived as being, remaining, taking place, meaning within some definite space or limits, can be translated in, on, at, or by. So when Jesus said the devil had nothing in him, 
he was literally saying that the devil had no place in him because he had not given the devil any place in him. The devil has nothing in me. Jesus is announcing that because he refused to give the devil place. I want to give you this same verse from the Amplified. And boy, I'm going to tell you, it amplifies it for us. I will not talk with you much more for the prince, evil genius ruler of the world is coming and he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. And he has no power over me. That's good, isn't it? Amen. Amen. Nothing in common with me, and there's nothing in me that belongs to him. Since there was nothing in common and nothing that belonged to him, notice that meant he had no claim. He had no claim. Think of it this way. Yeah, yeah, any, any of you have more than uh, one child, you've probably heard one of them lay claim to something that the other one had taken from his brother or sister, right? Hey, wait a second. That was my candy bar, right? That was, that was my Easter candy, right, from last week, right? In other words, we're saying that that's, that's mine, that... That, that belongs to me, and now you have it in your possession, something that originated with me, and they're laying claim. That was, that's my bowl of cereal. That's my chair. I was there first, right? In other words, we're talking about having something that someone else can claim as their own, right? Something in your possession, something in your heart, that came from somewhere, somewhere else, right, that that individual can lay claim to. One more time, I will not talk with you much more for the prince, evil genius, ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him, and he has no power over me. Because Jesus did not give the devil any place in his life, the devil had no legal claim. There was nothing in Jesus for the devil to point to and say, wait a minute, that's mine, that came from me, that belongs to me. If there had been something like that in Jesus, something that did not come from his father, but something that came from the devil, that Jesus had received into himself, right? Now, that means he's got something in common with the devil. He's got something that the devil can lay claim to, which gives the devil power over him. Are you seeing this? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. I'll just put it up on the screen. Let's do that, all right? Be sober, be vigilant. Be vigilant. That's not what that says, right? I can read. I just... Am I the only one that says vigilant, vigilant? Amen. <laughs> Diligent and vigilant are two different words that are related, all right? Be sober, be vigilant. Okay? It simply means be on the lookout, be alert, be sober minded, be vigilant. 
Because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So let's get a couple of things straight. First of all, as a roaring lion. Like a roaring lion. He's a lot of smoke and mirrors, my friend. He's a lot of smoke and mirrors. He works by deception and intimidation and manipulation. And notice that he's seeking whom he may devour. Meaning he can't just devour anybody or anything that he wants to devour. Are you seeing this? He's looking for a target. He's looking for someone that he can exploit. Someone that has given him place, that has received something from him into their lives, that has given him a legal claim upon them. Are you following me this morning? All right. You've heard me say this before. The devil cannot mess up your life without your cooperation. The devil cannot mess up your life without your cooperation. He can't just kick in the front, front gate of your house and come in there and mess everything up. You have authority over him. Now sometimes we cooperate by being lazy. Sometimes we cooperate by not paying attention. Sometimes we cooperate with him by not being vigilant, by not standing our ground. Are you hearing me? By, by getting lax. Amen. Well, that's not you and me though, right? Because we're vigilant, we're sober, we're, we're awake and we're aware and we're on our toes and we're not giving him any place. Amen? I've said it to you this way before. Satan, Lucifer, fell from heaven. He wanted to mess up what God created in the Garden of Eden. He did not have the power, ability, power, or authority, right or privilege to just march in there and mess it all up. For some reason, I always think about a bully kicking over somebody's sandcastle, you know, just going in, just, just kicking it everywhere. No, no, see, that's what he wanted to do. He didn't have the strength, power, ability, nor did he have the authority, the right, to go in there and do that. But there were two people who did have the power and the authority to mess it up. Their names were Adam and Eve. So notice... The devil was able to effectively mess it up, what God made perfect, by deceiving them into messing it up for him. Let me say it another way. They gave the devil place, first in their thoughts, then in their words, and finally in their actions. They lied, he, he, the enemy was able to first get them to look at the fruit in a way they had never looked at it before. This was in light, op, in light other than the light of what God said about it. Now that they're thinking in a way that is contrary to God, they start saying, and then next thing you know, they follow through on the action. Are you seeing this? And in doing that, the devil deceive them into messing up what God had blessed and made perfect. Praise God. So we'll get to some of this later, but let me just throw some words out this morning. Words like wiles, W-I-L-E-S, schemes, devices, strategies, plotting, and plans 
All of these are words that we see used in different verses and in different translations. And they're all referring to the tactics of the enemy against us. The wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devils, the devil's devices, his strategies, his plotting, his plans, deceitful plotting, cunning craftiness. All of these different words, these things that, that we see in Scripture to make you and to make me aware of our enemy and how he operates. But here is the one thing that we need to understand. And that is the goal of every scheme, the goal of every lie, the goal of every um, tactic, strategy, plot, plan, device, is for the enemy to somehow, some way, trick you and me into giving him place in our lives. It's what it's all about. Because if we don't give him place, he has no claim. And if he has no claim, he has no power over us. He knows in order to have power over us, he has to have claim. And in order to have claim, we have to give him place. If we never give him place, he has no claim. And if he has no claim, he has no power over us. Are you with me this morning? Can I be real honest with you? I wanted to preach some light and fluffy and yippee-yahoo kind of sermon today. And let's all go eat a hamburger. You know what I'm saying? But man, I just, I'm telling you, this is what the Lord put on my heart. And I'm fixing to pray and we're fixing to go eat a hamburger here in just a second, all right? About two years ago, maybe longer now, Brother Jerry Goblin says, if you think it was two, it was probably four, right? Am I, you know, I guess when you get over 50, you know, time just tends to compress. But some time ago, I heard Brother Keith Moore preach a series of sermons on the Lord, our protector. And he began with a series of questions. And I'm trusting this morning that you're mature enough to handle these questions, all right? The first question was, is a question that's fairly popular among religious people and in the world today. And, is, and the question is this, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, there's, there's books written, and listen, some folks have it right, some people couldn't be more wrong about why bad things happen to good people. Brother Keith Moore says, well, maybe we ought to ask another question. Why do bad things happen to bad people? He said, maybe we ought to just ask this question. Why do bad things happen at all? Amen. Right? Well, we know that bad things happen because there's a real devil. And we know that bad things happen because of Adam and Eve's sin brought a curse to this planet. And we know that the foundations that created this planet are out of course. And now weather patterns are becoming destructive. And, and we could just go on and on with that. We've been teaching on that, some of that on Wednesday nights. Now here's the question. I want you to kind of take a deep breath. Here's the question, buddy, that just hit me right between the eyes. And this is, the, this is the question Keith Moore says that we should be asking ourselves if we're man enough and woman enough to ask it. Are you ready? We should be asking, why could the Lord not protect me in that situation? Because the Lord is trying to protect us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Amen. All right. Are you still with me this morning? 
Are you Jesus said in this world we're going to have tribulation. The idea that the Christian life means we never face any problems or have any issues to deal with, absolutely not. That's not what it says. But the Bible says, be of good cheer. Jesus has overcome the world. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of 80% of them. Is that what it says? Out of all of them. Amen. Amen. So this isn't, this isn't condemnation. This is, this is, I think, us looking at some things that we need to look very carefully at, right? Are there things that we have given place to in our lives that has in turn given the devil claim and by him having a claim given him power over us that he should never have? Amen or oh me? One last passage, Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Ephesians 4 and 25. Can you handle a little more? Would you have rather me left that last part out to next Sunday? Amen? Amen? Well, what do you think be sober, be, be vigilant means? Right? Make sure that we're not opening doors, allowing, you know, it's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, last thing Pam and I do before we go to bed at night is make sure the doors are locked. Right? You know, we just check the back door. Check. Did you check the back door? Yeah, because we're let Colonel in and out the back door. That's usually the one that's going to, you know, if we're going to forget one, it'll be that one. So, yeah, I checked it, baby. It's, it's locked. Okay, all right. So, you know, and we go to bed, right? Because what are we doing? Just making sure every, all the, we're, we're being sober and vigilant. Obviously, the Lord is what protects us and trusts us. We're not, you know, alarm systems, all that. If you have all that, that's fine. But our trust isn't in that. Our trust is in the Lord. But still, it's just kind of one of those things. Well, in the same way spiritually, what, what doors are we perhaps leaving unlocked? Or what doors are we leaving cracked open? Or what doors have we taken off the hinges and don't even know where they are anymore? Right? So Ephesians 4 and 25, um, I'll just read a few verses here and then we'll finish. Therefore, putting away lying, <laughs> putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now look at me here for just a moment. All of this, what we just read and what we will later read past verse 27, are all focused on verse 27. Nor give place to the devil. Right? Are you seeing this? Nor give place to the devil. So he just gave us two, two areas that many people are giving place to the devil in their lives. What are those two? Uncontrolled anger and not telling the truth. Did I mention we have some really cold watermelon? We have ice cold watermelon. Amen. Six beautiful, large, ice cold watermelons that we're going to enjoy here in just a minute. All right. Who's the father of lies? So if I tell a lie, do I, do I have that in common with my creator father or do I have that in common? If I'm telling lies, notice now, I got something in common with the devil. He's a liar. You're seeing this, right? Are you, you see? No, Jesus said, he's coming for me, but 
nothing in common, nothing in me that belongs to him. If he's the father of lies, that means they originate. All lies originate from the devil. That means I've, if I'm a liar, I have taken something into my life now that came from him. I've got something that belongs to him. I got something that belongs to him. It came from him. It belongs to him. I have it in common with him. I've given place to him. It gives him power over me. You're seeing this, right? Anger. Anger. There's a right kind of anger and there's a wrong kind of anger. We'll look at it. We'll break it down. We'll explain it, all right? There's an anger that is controlled. There's an, there's an anger where, you know, we, we, should be, we should be stirred emotionally over injustice, over um, children being abused or anybody being abused, whatever. That, God gets anger. We have the capacity to be angry because, first and foremost, God has the ability to be angry, and we were created in His image and likeness. But the devil takes our capacity for anger and, and exploits it in a way, a rage, uh, um, what, what we would think of as, as an outburst, you know, where all of a sudden we say things in that moment. All of a sudden, again, see, that's, that didn't come from God. Are you seeing? That, that didn't come from God. That came from the devil. He, and if we act like that, if we allow that in our life, see, now we've got something in common with him, or he's got something in common with us. We've got something that we've adopted, we've, we've allowed in to our lives that came from him. And he's sitting back grinning, he's going, that's mine. <laughs> that lie, that's, that's, that came from me, that's mine, big boy, and you got it now. I got something in you. That's why he says, put it away. Put it away from you. Amen. Let me give it to you the Amplified. Stand with me today. Praise God. Stand with me. Amen. I'm fixing to pray. I really am. We're fixing to go eat a hamburger. Thank you, Jesus. You get anything out of this? Amen. Oh, sweet Jesus. I sure wanted a picnic sermon today, but it's all right. It's okay. Amen. Same verse from the Amplified. Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. Amen. Well, my prayer is that the Lord will begin to show us some doors that we've left unlocked or left cracked open. Amen. Listen to me, please. When we talk about lying, we, see, we, we have different degrees of lying, right? You've got the little white lie. And where did, I think it's actually the, the, the exact, the, the correct reference is a bold-faced lie. But, but now, but it's, now, but it becomes a bald face, You're like a bald face lie, like somebody has shaved their head lying to you now, you know what I'm saying? What is that, right? So notice we got like this whole spectrum of lying, well it's just a little white lie. Does our father tell little white lies? So if we're telling little white lies, then guess what? That, that we got something in common with the devil, he's got something now in us that belongs to him.
would give him no place. That would include exaggeration, by the way. Does our Father exaggerate? No, see? No, see? Amen. All right, so what, what are we going to work on? Telling the truth. Telling the truth. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. Thank you for their beautiful lives, their beautiful families. Father, you want us protected, Lord. You, you, you want us living the life that you created us to live. And Father, you're speaking to us through the Holy Spirit and through your word. Father, that, that we need to be sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. But Jesus, you showed us how to give him no place. And I thank you for your mercy. Father, you've been so merciful to us because a lot of us in here, myself included, Lord, we've, we've given the devil place. And you've been merciful to us. And thank you for that, Father. Help us, Lord, though. Start to realize and understand things in our lives that we've let slip. Things, Father, that, that, that we've allowed to creep in uh, that didn't come from you. Uh, and, and Lord, there are things that the enemy is trying to lay claim to in our lives and use to have power over us. Father, may we put it all away. Put it all away. Be men and women of integrity. Men and women of honesty. Men and women of, of truth. Lord, men and women who are self-controlled, Father. Lord, that, that violent outbursts of anger, Lord, would, we would not give place to the devil in our lives and families that way. And that you would help us, Lord. Uh, to, to not let our hearts be troubled in that way. Father, thank you for this afternoon. We pray over all the food, over all the folks that have worked so hard to prepare it. Lord, let this be a, a, a blessed uh, time uh, of fellowship and fun and, and, uh, and, and just growing closer together as a family of faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.